in the book of Titus, and we are in chapter 3. We come to this uh, third uh, chapter, the final chapter in this very short letter the Apostle Paul has written to um, Titus, one of his uh, disciples. And as we uh, turn there, we will look at verses 1 through 8 over the next few weeks, and specifically, we will... Uh, be in verses 1 through 3 this morning, but we will read the full text. And as you are finding Titus chapter 3, reflected this week that billions of people in this world hate Jesus and they hate Christians. Billions of people in, in this world are enemies of God. Billions of people in this world are evil and wicked and have no regard for the Lord God Almighty or His Word. You say, wow, that's a heavy statement to start with, Pastor. And as you'll see, the Word of God reminds us that every one of us that are in Christ used to be in that same way. The United States of America is a pagan country, no different than ancient Rome or Crete, where this letter uh, is written to, where Titus is living. This world has homes filled with people who are worshiping idols and false gods, and uh, that's in a majority of homes in this world. And so if you think about families destroyed, babies being murdered, uh, every type of sexual deviancy in this world, it's evil just as in the days of Noah. And I was reading this week in Genesis 6, and it says the Lord uh, saw and looked down on the mankind of earth, and, and all that he saw was wickedness, and that every intention and the thoughts of mankind was only evil continually. And you say, well, why are we starting there? Because I read Titus this week, and I read chapter 3 this week, and I was reading in verses 1 and 2, and it reminds me of holy living, that I'm supposed to live this way, and this follows after the grace of God we saw last week, and yes, it's wonderful. But also there's some reminders that um, are placed in here for the believers. And so Titus chapter 3 builds on the protection of doctrine, the practicing of doctrine, which leads in chapter 2 and here into chapter 3, that we would live holy lives in the midst of an unholy world. And Paul tells Titus to remind the believers that they are to live holy lives because they are different now than the way that they used to be. And so he does this uh, with a series of reminders. And as we read uh, Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, the scriptural truth we see from the text this morning is that holy living is the result of a heart, of a heart changed by the grace of God. Holy living is the result of a heart changed by the grace of God. Look with me at verses 1 through 8 of Titus chapter 3. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but, a, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. 
The saying is trustworthy, and I want to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. The word of God. Again, Father, we ask that you would teach us your truth from your word, that you would remind us to live holy lives because of your grace upon us, and you would remind us of who we are, who we were before you poured out your grace on us. We ask for a blessing on the reading and the preaching of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you need reminders every week? I need reminders all the time. It's like you tell your phone, remind me to call so-and-so at 2 o'clock tomorrow, and the phone talks back to you and says, I will remind you at uh, whatever time. You know, you put things in your calendars, you write them down. I don't know about you, but I have a whole series of stuff I put in my phone, have my computer, have on a written calendar. I, have, I used a bunch of these sticky notes, and I'll have them on my desk for things. I have folders of different aspects of ministry with the church here, and there's reminders insides there because I will forget we even have a great office administrator who she will remind me throughout the week, hey, remember this is going, or hey, you forgot this, you need to do this, or this is on the calendar. And yet with all of those reminders, having the calendars, the sticky notes, the phone, an office administrator, and others to remind me, I will still forget things. And some of you know that because either forgot to do something you asked of this or be at this or whatever it may be. And the reality is as good as your memory might be uh, that you just might need some reminders of things uh, in your life. And so the Apostle Paul, as he is writing to Titus, we come to chapter three and, and be reminded that this is a letter form. There's no chapters. There's no verse numbers. We have that so we can identify where things are. But in verse one of chapter three, he says to remind them. And what he begins to remind them is, is something which the apostle Paul uh, reminded the Christians in the book of Philippians. In Philippians chapter three, he told the believers, he said, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And so as he reminded the church in Philippi, he tells Titus, it's actually a command here, remind the believers the following. Remind them to not just remember the grace of God, which we just saw last week in verses 11 through 15, uh, what God has done in their life. But he says, now remind them again to live holy lives. And here's seven things to remind them of. And we see that in verses 1 through 2. And he gives them seven responsibilities for holy living. So if you're a follower of Christ, this is a reminder for you today. You might say, well, I know these things. Well, you need to be reminded, are these uh, aspects of holy living a part of your life? Is it evident? And if not, it's a reminder to evaluate and to pray and to seek the Lord in these things. And so there in verse 1, he says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. And just as we saw last week, uh, again, this word submit comes up and everyone's like, oh, why do we have to go over this again? And on top of that, now it's submitting to rulers and authority. Uh, do you know who rules over me? Do you know who our superiors are? Do you know who my boss is? Do you know who my teacher is that I'm going to sit in class with this year? Do you know what my parents are like? Again, 
We're to submit as the Lord tells us to submit. And he says, remember to be submissive to your rulers and authorities. And so what is your attitude towards those in authority of you? What is your attitude towards your local and national governmental leaders? Uh, some of you would be like, I, I'm not going to pay my taxes because it's my right of this or that, whatever. Well, when Jesus was asked about taxes to Caesar, he said, well, give me a coin. Whose inscription's on there? He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. I'm sure they grumbled when they were trying to catch him there. And some of you are grumbling because you don't want to pay taxes, but maybe there's laws and things that hold that you have to do those things. He says, be obedient. Uh, children, you are to be obedient to your parents. Children who are, uh, you have teachers that uh, school has already started or will be started. You're to be obedient to your school teachers. Uh, employees, you're to be obedient to your bosses. And that's the second reminder. He says, not only be submissive, but be obedient to them. You might say, okay, well, I'll submit, but obedient to them? Pastor, isn't there a line that gets me out of that at time? Well, Here's a couple of texts, um, one from 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter, the apostle, says in chapter 2 of 1 Peter 13, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. So all of you who want to know what the will of God is, Here's one aspect of it, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. You're to obey every human institution, whether it be the emperor, the president, the governor, the police, your teachers, your parents, whoever it may be, because Romans 13 tells us that God places leaders in their place and he takes them out. And he puts them there for a purpose, to be over your life, whether you agree or not, whether they're Christians or not. And the question, though, I can hear is, but when can I go against them, Pastor? When can I be rebellious and not follow those laws that they have for us? Well, the only time that I can point out to you right now this week would be Acts chapter 5, in which the religious leaders gathered the apostles and brought them in and said, do not preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do not speak of Jesus anymore. And they said, should we obey God? Or obey man. And they went on to say, we're not going to obey you. We're going to preach Jesus Christ crucified, risen again. And those guys were fuming. And we know that the apostles uh, went to their death for the name of Jesus Christ. And so remember to not only be submissive to them, but to be obedient to all authorities that God has placed in your life. Because it says, as First Peter uh, this is the will of God. The third reminder, church, remember to be ready for every good work. Did you ready yourself this morning? Did you prepare yourself? You, get, you combed your hair, you put a hat on, you whatever, you brush your teeth, hopefully, you know, whatever it may be that you did. Did you prepare your hearts to go do every good work today? Did you think about that this morning? When you were looking in the mirror, when you were getting your family together, when you were getting in the car, did you think, I am going to prepare my heart right now for every good work? Here it says, remember to be ready for every good work. Did you pray, Lord, put before me opportunities to do good works so that you receive all the glory? 
To be honest, sometimes I don't think that. And sometimes I go out in the morning and I'm driving or whatever. And I haven't thought about that. Okay, Lord, prepare me to do good works today. Sometimes I don't want to. Just thinking this week uh, when we used to live in East Los Angeles, uh, we don't get much rain there. Uh, and I remember one day there was a bunch of rain. I didn't have a hat with me and I didn't have a jacket. And I don't like standing in rain. That's just me. Some of my family love it. I don't like being in the rain. I'd rather watch it from a distance or be under a canopy or whatever it may be. But I left church and I was supposed to go to the store to pick up something. And I'm like, oh, I have to get out of the truck and I have to run inside and, uh, and I'm getting rained on. And it was like pouring rain in East Los Angeles. And I'm running back and I'm running back through the parking lot. I'm running right by a car and there's a young woman there and she's working on her uh, windshield wiper and she's just drenched. And I'm like, I'm running by. I'm like, man, what's her problem? I get in the car. And then it's like, when the Lord just puts that big old weight on you, and you're like, oh, and it's like, no, Lord, I, I don't want to get all soaked. She'll, she'll get it. She, I, and then right when that, I think that, the, the, the wiper blades in her hand, the metal part just smacks the window. And I was like, ah. Oh. So I got, I got out of the truck, and I'm like, I'm getting rained on. And I walk over with a horrible attitude, and, I, and, and she didn't speak English, and I said, can I help you? And she hands me a thing. I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, come on, you hook it on there and put it on, and you set it back down. And that's just the bad attitude I had. And as I put that, like, I cannot express to you the joy and thankfulness and that she was almost in tears because she couldn't get that on. And to her, I just served her in a wonderful way. And I'm sitting here going, woe is me, I'm getting rained on. And it's like, oh, Lord, forgive me. Do you prepare yourself? Do you ready yourself for every good work? Because Paul wrote to the church in Galatians. He says this in Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. And let us not grow weary of doing good. You ever get tired of just doing good and helping people? You ever get tired of just serving another person and serving another person and serving another person? It says, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap. If we do not give up, so then as we have an opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially of those who are of the household of faith. And so we're to be ready and prepared to serve anyone and everyone that we come in contact with this world. And it says, especially those of the household of faith. It is a glorious thing when here at Discovery Alliance Church, I see you as the body of Christ serve one another in numbers of ways. From whatever the, the list may come, at, even the things that other people don't know about, it's a glorious thing to see the body of Christ doing good works and serving one another. But it's even wonderful thing uh, when you see people in the church doing that outside of the church. And you're not getting paid for it. There's no motivation other than we do these things for the glory of God. And Paul says, Titus, remind them to be ready for every good work. The fourth reminder, he says in verse uh, 2, is remember... Remind the church, Christians remember, to speak evil of no one. This is the same word used, and we go back, to, we've looked at it uh, other times here in, the, in Titus. Um, it means to blaspheme, to speak judgmentally, to criticize someone, or to insult someone. It says, remember to speak evil of no one. So those temptations to join in with people at work, uh, or maybe even in your home, maybe students, kids when you're at school, 
Uh, there's a temptation to speak badly. Oh, do you know what those people did? Or to say things in a way that other people would then gossip about. I mean, just even lie, just to make up things. Sometimes it's, 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 it's pushed on or the temptation is great because we hate someone. And we want something bad for those people. So then we do speak evil of other people. It says, remember to speak evil of no one. You're like, but what if they're just detestable people? <clears throat> what if they're people that are just wicked and sinful? And it's like, well, we'll be reminded of that in a minute. Speak evil of no one. The fifth reminder, church, remember to avoid quarreling. Do not be quick to argue with anyone about anything. There are some people who love just to go out looking for a fight to argue with people. There are Christians I know who desire just to go find someone in the city just so they can argue uh, scripture with them. And then try to do it in the name of Jesus, but really they went out with a horrible attitude to try to, in a sense, wrong and hurt someone. We should be preaching the gospel. And when there is a disagreement, we should stand on the truth of the gospel. You should be able to uh, give an answer when you're asked about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there is a difference between that and the quarreling and the arguing, which is described here and in other places in the New Testament. Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul said in verse 18, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Some of you quarreled and argued in your homes this week, and you were fighting and verbally arguing with one another. It's not to be a part of your homes, but it's also not to be a part of your school, your place of work, you go to the grocery store, whatever it may be. The sixth reminder Paul tells Timothy to remind the church is to be gentle. We saw this in chapter 1 of Titus, a description of the elders. It's also in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that the elders of the church and Christians are to be gentle, which means moderate, fair, patient in your treatment of others. Have you been gentle with people this week? Have you avoided quarreling? Have you been peaceable with other people? Generally, when we are not gentle with other people, as this calls us to do, we then get into arguments. We get into quarrels. We answer people in a wrong manner. You cannot say or claim, well, I just have a strong-willed nature. I'm just wired this way, Pastor. No, this is a command to Christians. You are to be gentle. Before Christ, not gentle at all. After Christ, the Spirit of Christ dwells in you. Gentleness. It says, the seventh reminder, remember, church, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. It means a mildness of disposition. It means gentleness of spirit, to be meek, to be humble. It's the same word used in Galatians chapter 5 of the fruit of the Spirit in which they use the word gentleness. And so these two reminders of being gentle and show perfect courtesy, they tie in hand in hand. In Galatians chapter 6, it talks about when you have a brother or sister who's in sin, it talks about restoring them. It says to do that in this same gentleness. 
that when you see someone who is uh, in sin and they're not seeking the Lord as they should be and they're being turned away, you should turn them back, call them back, bring them back to an account and do that restoration with gentleness. These seven reminders are reminders not just for the Christians living in Crete at the time when Titus was there, but there are seven reminders for you if you're a Christian today. And these are descriptions of holy living. And they're descriptions of holy living, which is different than how you used to live before the grace of God came upon you. As 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new what? New creation. The old is past. Behold, the new has come. If you're a follower of Christ, if you're a Christian, if you've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, you're a new creature. You're a new creation. You have a new heart. Yes, it doesn't mean that you are perfect and sinless. One day before Christ, you will be. But while you walk in this earth, you walk in holiness and are to strive after holiness. And you are to be directed by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. But you no longer live habitually in sin the way you used to. There is a different aspect of living now, which is holy living. It would be good for you to go back and read Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15, which we spent time last week, in which uh, writes of God's grace upon you to save you and to give you a new life that you would walk in holiness and righteousness and do the good works, which would tie into chapter 3, verse 8, that these would be the motivations of your heart. But at one time, as many of you can testify, you did not desire, pursue, or have any want in your life to live a holy life. Those seven reminders for the believers were things that were opposite of what you lived by. And I was wondering this week, how many of you are thankful when people bring up your past? I mean, your bad past, not your glory days of sports and all your kinds of good stuff. But I mean, do you really like it when people say, hey, remember back in 1989? You're like, no, let's not talk about 89. You know, three months ago, you said this to me. Are we going to go back to that again? A lot of times when people get in arguments and fights, especially with families or whatever, you bring up the past. It's like, wait a minute. I was forgiven that. We already moved on from that. But uh, some of us uh, uh, have people, friends, acquaintances, uh, and, and don't like when the past come up, especially with class reunions or you see someone you haven't seen for a number of years. Like, hey, remember this? You're like, oh, no, let's not talk about that anymore. It's hard for them to understand. There's a life that's different now. Um, and verse 3 is another reminder. And the second point is that old life in self was marked by wickedness and sin. And you say, wait, pastor, let's stop. Let's stay with verses one and two. Let's have our barbecue and let's have fun together and just enjoy the end of the story. And then you know what? Go to verse three next week and, and I'll be on vacation because that's Labor Day weekend. And then I'll come back the week after that so I could just hear about God's grace again. No, the apostle Paul says, Titus says, remind them to the holy live holy lives. And he also says, remember at one time we used to live this way. Look at verse 3. For we ourselves were once, it means at one time, foolish, 
disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, and passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. There's seven areas of depravity that are mentioned here. Just like the seven reminders of holy living, there are seven areas of depravity here. Paul says, don't forget what your life was like before the grace of God through Jesus Christ our Lord saved you. Know what your life was like so that you are so thankful and joyful for the grace of God today which directs you in walking in holiness. If you are quick to judge other people of all their wickedness and all their evil, those, all those horrible people, remember you once were the same way. Many times we are quick to judge other people. We see whatever they're doing, and we quickly forget that as a believer, at one time in the past, we lived exactly in that same manner. And so here's the reminders. The first one, remember, you, Christian, were once foolish. It means total ignorance. It means oblivious to the truth of God. Jesus used this word and said in Luke 24, verse 25, O oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe. It means thoughtless. You were at one time, if you're a Christian now, in your past at one time, you were foolish, totally ignorant of the things of God. Secondly, remember, you were once disobedient, disobedient to God and to his sovereign rule and authority that you are rebellious, you are defiant of God's law. God repeatedly called the nation of Israel stiff-necked people because they were rebellious to him. They were disobedient of his law that he gave to them. He constantly reminded them, look what I have done to bring you out of this place of slavery. And what have you done? You're rebellious, stiff-necked, disobedient people. Third reminder, he says, remember, Christian, you were once led astray, meaning deceived. Who's the great deceiver, which the Word of God tells us? Who is it? Satan. Satan is a great deceiver. The Word of God tells us Satan is the father of lies in John chapter 8. Jesus says that Satan has been a murderer from the beginning. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, it says, Christian, you used to follow Satan. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, describes Satan this way. The great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. When it says Satan has deceived the whole world, deceived the world to seek themselves and not Jesus. And you go all the way back to the garden, Genesis chapter 3, the deception of Satan with Adam and Eve, and as he speaks to Eve, and he says, oh, I'm, you know, really, does God, and all, all these things, and they, you know, they are deceived. They disobey the Lord God Almighty, and that is your life before Christ. That's why a Christian, read Ephesians chapter 6 this week, it says, put on the armor of God so you can stand against these schemes, or the wiles, or the deception of Satan. God has given you armor, his word, He's given you uh, the sword, his word. He's given you these wonderful truths and blessings in Christ. He says, put that armor on so that you would stand against the deception and lies of 
Satan. Fourth reminder, remember, you were slaves to various passions and pleasures. We saw this again last week. You were a past slave to forbidden desires and sinful cravings. I think it's the Gospel of John. Jesus says that if you sin, you're a slave to sin. Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. You see, there was a way that you lived life because you were a slave to sin. And so all you ever desired was to please yourself. And therefore, all you sought after was sinfulness. And again, I, I, some of you are, are building up and maybe starting to fume and say, well, Pastor, I was not that bad. Yes, you were. And me too. Like, no, before Christ, I still made some good moral right decisions. And they're all rooted and grounded in your selfishness and in your pridefulness and not in the things of God. Because even people who make moral right decisions for the most time, it's out of a motivation of something they want for themselves so that they can look good or they can do something to get something out of it. It says, remember, the fifth one, you, that you, Christian, were passing your days in malice. The word malice means wickedness, depravity, evil, and trouble. And it carries the weight of desiring in your heart to harm another person. Have you ever desired to harm someone without doing that? Like in your mind, you're like, man, th that guy's a horrible driver. I hope he goes, drives off that next cliff. You're like, Lord, would you punish those wicked, sinful people over there? It's like the disciples, like, Jesus, you want to call down fire on these people and fry them because they're rejecting you? And rebuke them. Again, this picture of having malice to do harm to other people, that was desires. Those are things of your heart before Christ. It says, remember, at one time you were envious and jealous of other people. And that jealousy is always wanting more and more. Again, we live in this world in which people, all of us, are constantly disappointed with everything we get because it does not give fulfillment and peace in life. At some point, it's like we need the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, and our hearts lust after more stuff. It says you were envious at one time. You had jealous, jealousy in your heart over other people and what they have. And how come they have it and I don't have it? I want that. It's not fair. And then seventh reminder is remember, you were hated and hating. You were hated by others and you hated other people. And we know from Jesus' teaching that if you hate someone in your heart, it's the same as if you are murdering them. And many, many times the reason for our envy and hatred rises because of our disappointment of everything that we've put our hope in in this world. And so remember, he says, at one time, you used to live and be like this. And again, you're like, oh, we were just talking about holy living. 
Verse one and two. Well, how are we back at verse three here? Quickly, Pastor, move on to verse four. You need to be reminded. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 20 says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. And the reason for that is every single person is born into this world a sinner. Passed down from Adam in the garden. And we're told in the book of Romans, in the book of 1 Corinthians, that this is the state of all mankind when we're born into this world. A few passages of scripture to remind you so that you would, you would be reminded that these are the Lord's words and not Pastor Paul Taylor's words. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongue to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. If you're a Christian, that's a past description of yourself, but not today. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3. And you were at one time dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Again, there is a reference to following Satan. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived. He's writing to Christians, church. It says, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Not enough? Romans chapter 5, verse 10 and 11. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We love the end of that verse, reconciliation. But don't forget at one point, you were an enemy of God. These are the Lord's words, not my words Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. And you, past tense, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. At one time, you were hostile in your mind towards God, doing evil deeds. And one more. You're like, great. One more. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So if you sum up all these verses which we read in Titus and the ones I just read to you, here's your description. At one time, Christians, you were lost, dead, unclean, orphan, and child of wrath, who was a slave to sin and an enemy of God, and was hostile towards God and did evil deeds only all the time. Those are, those are words and descriptions from the scriptures I read you. 
not a summary that I wrote down. That's what the Lord God Almighty tells Titus, remind the Christians to not only pursue holy living, but to remember what their life was like before Christ so that they would be reminded of the grace of God, of what they've been forgiven of. And when you think of the weight of the sinfulness of our state before Christ, and you look to the cross, you are reminded that Jesus Christ was nailed on a cross. He who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. And therefore, Jesus Christ, for his people, bore their sins on the tree, and he shed his blood. He bled and died there that the, sin would not just, the sins would not just be covered over by his blood, but that they would be removed for those who are in Christ through faith in Jesus Christ, that he not only did that work on the cross that is finished, but Jesus Christ died. And on the third day, church, what happened? He rose again. And he's ascended to heaven. He's ruling and reigning now. Church, we're not waiting for a kingdom to show up. He rules and reigns now from all the time before he even created the earth. Jesus Christ has not stopped ruling and reigning. And therefore we rejoice. As we read in 1 Peter, that as believers, we are citizens of heaven, which one day he will gather all of his people together to be with him for all eternity. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. After that list of reminders, it says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy, church. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. I think I quoted it last week. When we look and know and be are reminded our sinfulness before we're saved by the grace of God. When we sing the song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was what, church? Blind, but now I see. And so you, Christian, before salvation, was blinded to the things of God, was blinded to the gospel of Jesus Christ, had no desire in your heart to seek the Lord. And God, by His grace, through the work of His Holy Spirit, opened your eyes to the gospel of Jesus, which you've heard declared and preached at some point. And the Holy Spirit gave you faith to believe in Jesus Christ. And He gets all the glory because He does all the work. And you receive all the grace because of Christ and His love for you. Isn't that glorious? Isn't that reason why you should praise the Lord God Almighty? Isn't that the reasons why we should then go back to verse 1 and 2 and pray that the Lord would do those works in us, that we would go out daily prepared to do good works so that he gets all the glory 
none for us. And so this week, as you pray for me, I will pray for you. That the Holy Spirit would remind us of the wonderful, glorious truths of the grace of God and remind us of where we were so that we continue to walk in the praise and glory of God. And that even as we still battle with sin, that God's doing a work, He's sanctifying us, growing us in Him, that we would pray daily for one another, for the strength of the Holy Spirit to empower us to walk in right ways. And I would say this, if you are here or in this area here and you have been listening to the preaching of the Word, and you realize, because the Holy Spirit has convicted your heart, uh, that you are a person who needs a Savior because you are a sinner. All I can tell you is what the Word of God tells us. Repent of your sins. Believe in Jesus Christ, that He died for your sins and He rose again. And Jesus Christ is returning. There's no fancy prayer. There's no words to say. You call out to God and he does, a, he does a work. He's brought you to this point of this revelation and this conviction by the Holy Spirit that you are a sinner in need of Christ. And so call out to Christ and he who pours out his grace upon his people will save. Father, we ask that as we conclude the service and song, as we again praise up, praise you by raising up our voices that you would be glorified in our life and that we would not be quick to pass on from our past and that you would remind us daily of your grace Father help us to be a people who are glorifying you a people who are doing good works, that you would be glorified. And we pray that you would come back quickly. We await that day of being with you for all eternity. Father, for those who have come to this place and are far off, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. We praise you and give you thanks for salvation and for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.